Well, okay. Well, well, he, uh, well, I just tell you a bit. Okay, Denny, I didn't really know Denny. I, I, Denny was seventy-two. I'm, I was seventy, so he's two years older than me. And uh, uh, when Denny graduated from high school, he joined the army. Well, he never told me none of this shit. But me and him would be sitting around a bar full of a bunch of Vietnam vets, and they're all talking about their stories. And most of them made up. And and the thing is, they never had anybody killed after seventy-two. Anybody who says, "Well, I was in Vietnam," you did. Well, yeah, they was there, but they didn't do nothing because we had signed a peace agreement with. Yeah, basically, we weren't attacking them. They weren't. Now we lost people stepping on landmines and stuff like that. Because, but it, but basically, the war was over in seventy-two. But all these guys there in seventy-four, seventy-five. Anyway, Denny used to listen to him, and he'd say, "They're so full of shit." And I said, "Yeah, I think they are too." And I said, "Why was you over there?" And he says, "Yeah." He said, "I was over there a few years," and he said, "Got shrapnel, got a bullet hole in me." I said, "Shit." Well, he was in amongst them then, because. Uh, and anyway, anyway, uh, he said that he said that uh, uh, he got this wrong with discharge. That's something you don't tell nobody. That's about the worst fucking thing. That's about in the military. That is, I mean, I mean, if you're a baby raper, yeah. Well, if you, well, if you get dishonorable, well, he probably didn't get dishonorable. Usually, if you just go. You should, oh, wow. Okay, okay. Well, in, well, in okay, well, in the Vietnam War. I Googled it after Denny died. Uh, only six six million people served over there. They only had six dishonorable discharges, and all of them got them reversed except Denny. He never tried. And uh, so I, I called up some lawyers, and I was getting it set up, and then he did die. So that was that was. For something that most white men at that time would not have done. He uh, okay okay Denny. Joined regular army. It did one tour. We got done with it. They said, "Hey, would you want to come back as an officer?" Then he said, "Well, hell yes." So he said, he "Spent he spent six months in California partying up a storm, getting his officers training, and then he went back and they asked him if, um, um, well, no, basically they assigned him an all black company. Now a company's got a hundred men in it, four sergeants, and anyway, they're all black, all niggers. And uh, Denny said, "Well, you know, he didn't, but they couldn't find nobody who wanted to." Command a company of niggers. So anyway, Danny didn't give a fuck. So he, he, uh, and he lived, he lived here in Quincy, which is what I can't believe because not everybody here is racist. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> he said, yeah, you know. So anyway, he got this company, and what they was doing was they was sending them out on ambushes, and they would uh, basic basically fly them in some place in the middle of the night, unload them, and then they would scout around and kill gooks and. Try and seize the area, and okay, that's what. And uh, and anyway, he said they assigned him a gook lieutenant who defected from North Vietnam, north into the south. And they, he called it a he called him a hacky or a, they had a funny name for him. But anyway, he said he was assigned to my company. And he said, oh man, he said everything was great. He said we'd be going so, that drops off someplace, we'd start to go that way. Don't go that way. You know, and he said, he said, no, they, they, all the missions went great. Nobody got killed. Everybody was smooth. And he said that lasted about three or four months. Then everybody seen his company. What? Okay, what the military? What they had done? They had all white companies. Most of them were. They had mixed companies with niggers and whites. 
and they had all black companies. And what they was doing was they was trying to compare them, see what you, see what worked best in combat. And, well, anyway, so Denny's company was all black. He said, and he said everything was going great. Well, he said then that they took his little gook away that was really telling them where not to go, and they went somewhere that they shouldn't. And one of the black guys stepped on a mine, killed him, and then he said maybe another one. He didn't know, and he couldn't remember any other. And he could. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to take up so much of your time. Anyway, I want to write a book about it. Uh, to me, he's a fucking okay. Okay. Oh. oh yeah, well, Germany's cool. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I. Yeah. Well, I I joined and they trained me to be a uh, diesel mechanic on a on a on a ship. So anyway, I was supposed to, I was supposed to go over there and be on a riverboat. So I was supposed to be, but uh, what happened? Well, they put me on aircraft carriers. Anyway, uh, the uh, anyway, Denny, his company was doing great. Okay, well, his one that's trying to find out what percentage. If he had ten black guys in a company, twenty black guys, you know, and he was just experimenting to see which. Which would perform the best? Because who in the fuck wants to be the one in front? I mean, if you're black. Anyway, they was having a lot of trouble with the black guys shooting the officers too. <laughs> yeah, they shot quite a few officers. Well, no, a lot of the niggers said, "Fuck this, ain't our fucking war. We don't want nothing to fucking do with it." And they just shoot the officer in the back and say, "Well, that's it. You're standing there. I'm standing here. You fall down. We all got guns. Everybody." Who did that? And if they didn't see who, like, if it had been all probably all white company with a black guy leading, been probably in the same fucking deal. Um, like I said, so Denny was kind of well. I, I mean, he didn't even consider that because oh, he's white. Yeah, he's just rare old white guy. Anyway, uh, and I, well, the reason I know is whenever to go into a bar, if there's any black people in there. He'd, hey, how you doing? You know he. Right, but Quincy people aren't like that. If you see a nigger, you know, and you say hi. Otherwise, you don't say nothing to him. Or that's the way my generation was was raised, pretty much. And I, seventy-two, <laughs> getting pretty damn old. Well, anyway, <laughs> anyway, Denny there, he uh, no, no, and I always remember. I feel bad about that goddamn pistol. I think he stole it from his mom. I didn't. He just said it was. Well, I don't know. It was a. It was a police 38, 1890 something. It was a really old pistol, and I'm sure it was his dad's. And his dad died. Yeah, and he had it. I don't. I, anyway, he was. He was just little, and he was out at my house. I don't know. Was killing sparrows. I don't know what the hell he was doing. He was shooting something with my pellet gun. Uh, I mean, we had just. I had just moved out there, so I was still going back and forth and miss, missing my friends. And now. Uh, Ray wasn't really my friend. His older brother, Happy, was my friend. I mean, he was the one that... And if I would have stayed there, I would have married Linda. I just I just love Linda. I did. I just I just liked the way she looked, the way she talked. Everybody says that. Well, I, I can't remember what she looks like now. But I do remember... I'd have stayed in that neighborhood. Linda? 
Oh, his, his Raymond's sister. Yeah. Linda, Raymond's sister. And Beverly was okay too, but uh, the only one that really none of them were to me. Yeah, yeah. The only one I ever liked was Linda. Mm. Oh, Beverly, yes. I for, I even forgot her name. Now, okay, Beverly's about my age, right? I mean, she. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, hey, take care. Well, say, say, say. Well, hey, wait a second before you take off here. These aren't, these aren't very strong, but I, I like them. Just give that old Raymond there. Okay. Right. So <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> well, I, I need a ghostwriter, and I'm, I'm trying to get Jeannie to do it because I haven't really asked her. <laughs> I, I talk the talk, but I don't walk the walk. Yeah. <laughs> they were
Hey, I'm going to tell you the story of Benny Grimm here. I was going to tell this gal the story, but uh, uh, she had to go back down with her friends and drink. <laughs> well, she's just patient there for a while. Uh, Denny Grimm was an old Vietnam veteran. And I've known him, I don't know, a lot of years. Never really paid no attention to him before. I'd see him in bars. Always say hi, Denny. You know, he's a skinny little fella. Uh, he worked at Huck's. I worked at Electric Wheel for 15 years. He worked across the street from me at Huck's for 10 years until they closed the plant. And same thing with me, Electric Wheel, they closed my plant. Anyway, I never really thought much about it. Time goes on, as time does. And before I knew it, I was uh, 65, 64 years old. It sneaks up on you. And that's the reason I'm trying to get this cloning shit set up. You know, one life ain't enough. You think about it. All the work that went into creating your DNA. Of course, if you believe in God, then God created your DNA. Well, how did God do that? Did he snap his big old godly fingers and pop and come alive? Well, in a way, he did. He sent a soul that found your DNA and was able to link in with it and tie all the different components in the DNA together so that it could develop into another new cell. And then, bam, there's two cells. It's alive and the soul's in there. Every living thing is born with a soul, no matter how small, no matter how big. You have to have a soul that can read the DNA. If you take that DNA and, and if you can't, if the soul can't enter it, it never comes alive. Now, apparently the way it comes alive, they put the fertile, the egg with the uh, DNA in it in a, in a nutrient solution and mild electric shock. Well, the electric shocks is what causes it, but that ain't what it does it. What does it is when that shock goes through that egg and the DNA in that egg, that opens up a crevice or something that that soul can jump through. It's got to be a strong, good soul. It's got to be a soul that's familiar with that type DNA. 
So there's a good chance the soul you have is one of your previous ancestors whose DNA was pretty close to yours. And he said, man, he said, I can do this DNA. I mean, there might be a million of them trying to push you that little crack. Dog, dog souls, cat souls, but they can't, can't read the DNA. They can read cat and dog, though. But they have souls, too. Hey, God told me this shit. <laughs> I know it sounds weirder in hell. And I don't even believe in God. But I do believe in magnetism. You know, I do believe in uh, gravity. And I think that's the only powers God has, maybe, is manipulating DNA. I don't think he can do much in this matter in this world except maybe through magnetism and possibly gravity i think i think those are the predominant energies in his dimension gravity and um, i guess magnetism i get i don't know <laughs> maybe magnetism maybe that's dark energy i don't know i don't know God never told me that. And of course, he's an imaginary God. But he sure seems real. And he's been telling me to get this cloning thing up and run because he said it is time. He said humans are on the verge of moving on to great things or becoming extinct. He said that we've screwed our environment up so bad that he can't, hard, he can't adjust the DNA fast enough to minimize the effect. So we're going to have massive famine. We're going to have a lot of starving, pissed off people. And we've got thermonuclear weapons that will poison the planet further. Now, God will deal with all these things in time, working through the DNA. But working through the DNA, it took all the time between now and the beginning for you to develop. Your DNA is absolutely unique. You do not know the value of your DNA. And they get cremated or rot in the ground is stupid. I'm going to get my carcass frozen in nitrogen. My DNA will be as preserved as best I know how. The pharaohs tried to get it done. Emperors of China tried. Everybody tried to get her done. They wanted another life. Well, we can do that now through cloning. I'm going to set up the Kaylee Family Cloning Corporation and we're going to do pets as cheap and as safe as we can. And we'll use mothers from the animal shelters and the people's got to take the mothers with them along with the kittens or pups. So we could have a, uh, a mongrel mongrel beagle have one of them really expensive labradoodles. It don't make no difference. I mean, you put a labradoodle egg inside of a beagle mother and my God, you got yourself one of them Labradoodles, and it don't cost a fortune. It costs the same as an old mutt good, <laughs> or not much more. You got the time involved in the people using the equipment to produce the embryo. I don't know how many you can produce in a day, but I'll bet you can produce a lot of embryos in a day. 
I know they cloned a thousand mice at one time. They found out that if they made an embryo and this and the ex, they accidentally spilled hydrogen peroxide. Oh, could I get some more ice? Too? Not, I mean, this is just whenever. Thank you, thank you. Anyway, I got way off my subject. Sorry. I was going to tell you about Denny, a true Vietnam war hero. I don't say that lightly. I mean, like Audie Murphy, he, I think he was kind of a staged war hero. He did, he did things. But I think the military was kind of moving behind the scenes to, to get him through that war alive. Every good war needs a war hero. Ain't got none from Vietnam. No real ones except maybe my friend Denny. I think he's a real war hero. It's not really from combat. It goes deeper than that. During the Vietnam War, I checked into it. Only 60 people out of 6 million got dishonorable discharges. And Denny was one of them. The guys down that village had shot all the villagers, point blank, walked up, women, kids, killed them all. Did they get dishonorable? You know, it don't seem right, but they didn't. They got less than honorable. They all got, they all got VA benefits. So later in life, like me, they get plenty of money from the damn old VA. Anyway, I got off the subject again. I smoked a little pot. It's making me kind of drifty. I don't know if you ever get drifty. It's kind of a fun feeling, though. Your mind just kind of kind of oozes to the left and it oozes to the right. I mean, I look down there and they're all playing darts. One of the guys brought in a big bucket of chicken wings and he said, help yourself. Well, I don't really know him. And I was sitting 30 feet away from him, and I hated to go down there and get him. I was waiting for him to offer me something. He never did. Me and old that no. Anyway, back to the Denny story. An authentic Vietnam War hero who got a dishonorable discharge and died a penniless, <laughs> a penniless person. Got buried in Potter's Field. I mean, you know, wherever they take people that ain't got nobody to get them buried. 
city of Quincy, I guess. I never went to his funeral or nothing. If he had, I don't think he had one. He just, he just died and shipped it anyway. Anyway, Denny was, uh, Denny lived here in Quincy, Illinois with me. Went to high school with me. Now, I was about two years behind Denny. I graduated in 69. So that meant that Danny should have graduated in 67. Well, he graduated and he joined the Army, volunteered to go over there and fight in Vietnam for four years. And he said the first tour, he said it was okay, you know, he just met a bunch of guys, you know, going where they told us to go, drinking, and just had a good party time. Well, about the time he got done with it, he said that uh, one of the lieutenants asked him if he wanted to go to officer's training school because they was impressed with his abilities. Well, then he quite honored. He had signed for four years. <laughs> he seen what one year as a corporal was like. Uh, lieutenant might be better. So he signed the papers, took off to the States. He said he spent six months in San Francisco, down at the Navy base in Alameda there, uh, getting trained to be an officer. And uh, this party time, man. He said uh, going to Fillmore West, watching Janice Joplin, and he named off a whole bunch of these old big name people who weren't big name at that time that he's seen. But he said, hell, drunk, using drugs, just having a great time. Anyway, all things must end, of course. And when his time was up, they—when his time was up—they put him on a plane and sent him back to Vietnam, as he agreed to. When he got there, they was assigning the, the new lieutenants to their companies, and they told Denny his company would be all black, and they asked him if he would accept it. Most of the white officers wouldn't. They wouldn't command no fucking. Because the black guys had started shooting officers in the back. <laughs> I mean, there had been, I don't know how many cases of it, but there was a few. And nobody got a dishonorable discharge for that either. <laughs> Denny got one, though. I'll tell you why pretty soon here. Anyway, then he said that they'd go out in the field. And he said that first tour, they give him a, a gook lieutenant who saved him a lot of casualties. And Oh, no, I jumped too far ahead. Excuse me. Okay, so Denny accepted command of this all-black, 100% black company. The only two white people, it was Denny and his Navy corpsman. The rest of them were all black guys. Anyway, Denny got to know him pretty well, although he couldn't remember nobody's names. And you know what I can't either? The people I served with, I can only remember three names. I can remember R.J. Toronto and Dale Vance. That's it. You know, you spend several years with people you should remember more names than that. <laughs> but those are my two real true friends. I mean, friends is good enough to die with.
friend is good enough you back till the end. If staying with them will get you killed, you stay with them. Now, that's the way it was between the people I considered my true friends. Only had a few, and some of them proved not to be true in the end. But early in our stuff, we were true friends. We'd die for, we'd have died for each other. I know. And maybe, maybe I wouldn't have any towards the end either. So I'm saying they dropped out. Well, it might have been me too. You know, uh, you know, my old friends are dying for that. Well, no, no, no. Anyway, let's go back to the story here. I'm trying to find a ghostwriter to write this story for me. If somebody happens to hear this podcast and you're interested in doing some ghostwriter work, if you could possibly get a hold of me, I'll sure pay you. Most ghostwriters, the minimum is about 2000 And I'll pay that. Hey, I don't want to, but I will. Just to get the very most basic stuff done. And if nobody's interested in the story, well, so be it. But I think they could make a damn good movie out of this. Although it'd open up a whole can of worms, uh, race-wise, I'm afraid. And our race problems are, I think, even worse now than they was back then. And nobody will say that. <laughs> How are you going to fix a problem if you, you say, there ain't no problem? The fuck, there ain't a problem. I kind of think you ought to just let everybody separate into their own groups. And then other people who want to be mixed, well, mixed. But people who want to be mixed can't be in the other areas. I mean, and you have a lot less friction. Anyway, Denny there. When he okay, so he accepted a company, a black company, and on his the uh, first thing they assigned him this lieutenant, who was a North Vietnamese officer, and he had been working with the Viet Cong in the area, and he knew all the ins and outs, what the fuck was going on from that side. And then he said that first six months, man, he said shit. They'd send us out on ambushes, and he told me about some. Of them. I wish I would. I told him I wanted to write this stuff down, but he wouldn't do it. Basically, basically, they'd send, they'd fly him into an ambush, they'd set it up. And uh, they fly him in, set it up, and the, when they got there, they had supposed to set it up over there. A goop would say, no, we ain't setting it up. We'll set it up over here. So they'd set up their ambush point, and uh, he said, a lot of times, you know, I never even fired a shot. <laughs> so he said, Denny said he kind of figured maybe there was goops over there. <laughs> and that goop they was with was just kind of keeping them separated. Uh, anyway, he said he was a good fellow. Then he said he bought him a transistor radio, which he carried everywhere, listened to constantly. And uh, then don't know what happened to him. He said that uh, after six months or so, since I, since, I mean, it was 100% on their... Con- okay, that's the other thing. Back in those days, they had, uh, it was experimenting. They had all black companies. Unfortunately, they were shooting white officers occasionally. 
and they had uh, mixed companies, and they had all white companies. And they was comparing, you know, they were sending them out on these ambushes, and then, you know, writing down what happened. Well, Denny's did perfect there, so he was he was number one. And at the officers' quarters, okay, the problem was when they came back to the base, they separated them. The black guys had to go to the enlisted men part of the main base, and then he went to officers' quarters. You know, so he's seen, you know, all these, all, all these other guys bragging about how good their companies had done. But then he said his company had the highest rating. And he said he didn't, he didn't really brag about it too much. But, he, you know, he said he told the officers, you know. And at that time, a lot of people, and I was one of them, and I still am one of them. I know when I was in the service of black guys, we got assigned to my area. But my area was unpleasant. And they wouldn't stay. As I ain't doing this shit, man. And they'd go up and see the minority affairs officers and get a job somewhere in the kitchen or someplace where it was a lot nicer. <sighs> Which didn't made me lose respect for all the black men I met. I mean, I'm sure they're not all like that, but all the ones assigned to nasty, dirty hot job they wouldn't do it oh man Chuck had a pee I'm sorry wow and it's so hard for me to walk I had to go maybe 20 feet oh shit god damn oh lost my balance kind of fell on the toilet. Whew. Didn't hurt nothing, though. One of these days, you're going to be like me, old and crippled. And the only thing I've got to look forward to is finding me a wife who will marry me, who I can give my pensions to, but we got to be married a year or she won't get it. So after we get married, i got to live a year. Now, there's one little loophole there. If she's pregnant, and it's my child, if I die before we're married a year, at least I think both of them will get the benefits. But, but uh, well, she have, she'll have to check into that. So I might have to marry a pregnant gal or marry a gal who will get pregnant. <laughs> You know, and she's got an old boyfriend or something. That'd be kind of cool. And then she, she, but once you get this set up, she's got to have me. And I'll be a good baby. Tell you what, I weighed about seven or eight pounds when I was born. Uh, I never had any kind of sicknesses or illnesses. I got, I mean, I had chicken pox and measles and got my polio vaccination. And, uh, you know, I mean, just a regular old kid. No problems. So whoever my mom is, she'll know exactly what she's going to end up with at 70. Because she'll see me, I hope, before I go. <laughs> but you know, I was just a regular old six foot, I don't know, 150 pounds, 180 pounds. A white boy, blue eyes, blonde hair. You know, pretty good reflex, everything. Pretty good vision, pretty good reflexes. Everything worked pretty good my whole life. Now at 72, everything's breaking down. And I'm about out of time and I know it. 
That's the reason I've been getting kind of desperate with these podcasts and my TikToks. On my TikToks, I've been trying to get the idea out there of young women marrying old guys and promising to be their mom. You know, there's a lot of young gals out there. You know, they ain't got nothing to look forward to. Well, now, if they marry an old guy and get his pension, well, they got their financial future at least partially secured. And the old man ain't going to be around long. You know, if he's a real asshole, well, most women know how to handle a real asshole. I'm, I'm not a real asshole. I think I'd be pretty easy for any woman to handle. Never argue with Pam, never hit Pam. I never hit a woman in my life. Might have argued a little bit, but that's about as far as my violence goes. Well, and with men, too. I never really fought with men much. Uh, you know, I can't think of no great big... I never did that. Now, thinking about it, I never had a... I never had any kind of a fight. Now, I think about it. Well, 72 years old, you never hit nobody. Nope. Got hit myself a few times. But I don't think I struck him back. Anyway, I'm just sitting here peeing. One thing about being in the 70s, hey, I'll tell my clones, my clones hear this. <laughs> I'm sitting here and I dribble, 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 and then it quits. So then I sit here and I talk for a while. And then I go dribble, 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 dribble again. So I'm just going to sit here until somebody, another guy, there's only about four guys, three guys here, so I don't think nobody would come. Anyway, I'm going to go back to Denny Grimm's story here. So Denny Grimm, okay. So back in the officer's country, you know, every all the guys, you know, and there's all white companies, mixed companies, and they all done good. I mean, they all, but they, I don't know how they, I don't know if they posted it. Or if they just told the lieutenants, you know, hey, you guys completed a hundred percent of your mission or ninety percent of it, or uh, anyway, Denny's was a hundred percent, and I don't know, I, I don't know what the other companies had because he didn't say. But anyway, this one Georgia, Georgia major who didn't have a company, he was just a fat old, well, a fat. Uh, Officer, he never left the base. I mean, he, he had office job, I guess you'd say. Anyway, Denny said he's always saying how fucking niggers are going to ruin the military. The niggers ain't worth a fuck. They won't fight. They won't, you know, and in some cases that was true, but, but, but not many. Anyway, some white guys wouldn't fight. Denny had a corpsman and a guy who was a conscientious objector. And he got drafted anyway. So what they did is a uh, he didn't carry a weapon, and he didn't carry a weapon. I guess it's the only difference. He didn't carry a weapon. He carried all the medical stuff. Anyway, then he said that uh, without that gook telling the world that where all the ambush points were. And then he said he kind of learned a lot from that goo, so he kind of knew himself where not to go. But without him, they was going to places where he was, men were getting hurt and starting to lose him. And that bothered Denny. 
because he he had been a hundred percent, none of it, no losses. You know, and him and his whole crew, they all thought, man, we're gonna come out all right on this deal. Then one day, wherever in the hell it was at, it was heavily mined, and uh, one of the Den- Denny's black guy, I don't know how many of them, one of them did for sure, killed him, stepped on the mine. But the shrapnel from the mine hit Denny and the corpsman. Now, Denny said the corpsman, he had a slice all across his belly and his guts was coming out. And Denny, uh, Denny got shrapnel in his legs and his arms. And he uh, oh, got the corpsman's stuff out, give him more feed and tried to push his stuff back and put a bandage over it. And, you know, he said that, uh, you know, then they, the medics arrived, the real medics. And they loaded him up and took him back to the main base. And he said he never seen. The, I said, I, what happened with Corman? He said he didn't know. He said he. They took him wherever they took him. I've never seen him again. And I said, do you remember what his name was? He couldn't remember the guy's name. But I can't either. If you ask me, the guys I worked with, our our engine crew, we had a, uh, well, we had two full time. So main steam controller guys. I was one of them. That I, I did that some. And there was oiler guy. There was the I don't remember none of their names. I mean, you spend two years with people. Huh. Anyway, I, anyway, didn't couldn't remember most of these guys' names. So if I do get this thing wrote up as a book, I'm gonna have to do some research, find his company, whatever it was. And if I can contact any of them guys, for I would like to get their story. You could add to his story. And I think, I think it could be a bestseller. I think they could make a movie out of it. They don't really, they got many Vietnam War stories about anything fighting and stuff. Well, this is a little more involved than just fighting. I, I, I mean, some of them, they got, yeah, well, Vietnam kind of love movies. But uh, <laughs> but they ain't got none like Denny's story. So I'm trying to pull my britches up. And I'm so weak just to hold my goddamn pants up high enough <clears throat> to tighten the belt. Oh, it's so bitch. When you get to be 72, if you feel as crappy as I do, oh, anyway, I'm walking. I can't feel my feet, so I'm just walking real slow.
Could here, I'll go here too. I'm just trying not to. <laughs> I'm trying not to drink too much. I'd like to get a pitcher. How much is a pitcher anyway? Five fifty. Shit, that's reasonable. Yeah, you can't beat up a pitcher price here. What kind of what kind does that include? Um, just the cord light, the bug light, and the light, and the Okay. Did you have Paps? The one I thought one time you had Paps. I have PB. I have uh, PBO. I have Goose and I also have Blue Moon. How much is a pitcher of Blue Moon? Is blue that... Moon is uh, $6.50. Oh, it's higher than that. Most places are getting... Oh, I don't... I really don't know. Kevin didn't... I don't really remember. So, it's $6.50 today. So oh, well, give me one of those. Yeah, I, I've always wanted to drink it, but I never... Well, here, hey, 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 here, Beth, keep that, keep that. Beautiful. When I'm on the grass, I'm going to say, 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 I
Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I drifted away, folks. That's what happens when you smoke dope and drink at the same time. Anyway, the uh, Denny Grimm story. Denny uh, got tired of this major saying the niggers were ruining the, ruining the military. They weren't, white guys didn't like working with them. They don't like working with white guys. Anyway, piss Denny off. And he was telling him 100% on her mission. Anyway, it came to fisticuffs, and then he said, I kicked his ass. He said, I'm, I was 24, 25, I don't know how old he was. Rock hard from being out in the field. And this fucking guy sitting behind a damn desk. So he said, beat the fuck out of him. He wasn't bigger than me, though. But anyway, called him in the office and gave him a dishonorable, and out the door he goes. And, uh, but then he got his dishonorable. Now, if you think about the Vietnam War, six million people served there. Only six got dishonorable. My God, what's the odds of that happening? <laughs> anyway, because uh, he struck him a superior officer. Yeah, automatic. Uh, anyway, Denny, but that happened because he was standing up for his nigger troops. Now that, to me, is what makes him a hero. Because I damn sure would. If I'd have had bigger troops, I wouldn't have stood up for him. If I was in there and everybody else was saying, well, they ain't worth a fuck, and I'd been working with them, and I knew that they was indeed good, I wouldn't have been brave enough to say, no, they're good. I would have just said, yeah. I'd go right along with the flow. That's the way I'm, that's the way I'm built. But then he wasn't. He's a man of his, uh, a man of integrity. So, anyway, he got dishonorable, had shitty jobs all his life, died in a poorhouse here in Quincy. And just before he died, I decided I'm going to try it. I called up some some outfits, told them what the hell was going on. And they said that everybody, about 60 got dishonorable. They all got them reversed or they died. I don't know what the percentage was, but they said, they said Denny, for standing up for his black troops, he said that, could, that should be appealed. Um, I mean, he did strike a major, but he would have got some kind of benefits, they said. So, about that time, Denny told me he had stage four lung cancer, and he died just a few months later. Got buried there in Potter's Field here in Quincy, somewhere. I didn't go. I don't know. I mean, we weren't really close friends, just... Basically a drinking buddy. Anyway, that's the story of Denny Grimm. I'm going to try to find a ghost writer and see if we can make a syllabus. I would like 
I would really, in real life, may have a movie made where it ends up just the same, Denny in a poorhouse, but the black guys, they could have some big famous black actors play the black guys, and they could tell their side of the, of the same story. What happened after Denny was removed? I mean, did they end up shooting her next officer? <laughs> He was a dumbass, then he said they would. <laughs> or he said they might. He's got to be faster than that. You should have told him. You got to be faster than that. Tell you some more stories here. I'm trying to find a ghostwriter for this story too. Now this is, I guess you got to call it a fiction story because I have absolutely no proof of what I'm about to say. Okay, this story starts when I was a young kid. I was out with my grandma Kaylee picking peas out in Babe and Johnny's garden. I was staying at Babe and cousin Babe and Johnny's house. Uh, uh, Dick and Jerry had went off with their dad to do some kind of farm work. I don't remember what it was. Usually I went with them, but for some reason I didn't. So it must have been something unpleasant. <laughs> I always like going up there. The really unpleasant jobs, like milking the cows and stuff, they didn't make me do it. I, I would usually go out with Dick and Jerry and watch them milk the cows, and they, they kept trying to get me to learn how. And I tried kind of half-assed and grab a hold of that udder and start squeezing it. And I just didn't want to do that. I, I, I suppose he'd get used. Well, they was used to it. His dad sold uh, uh, probably he had these big old milk containers. I think it was ten gallons, maybe it's five at least, maybe ten though. It's pretty heavy. And he had a cooler out in his garage, and he put them in that cooler. And usually, I'd say every week, once a, once a week, uh, the milk guy would come and get him in and give him money for him. He got at that time 14 cents a gallon. Now it was it was milk that you couldn't use to drink. It was all made into cream and stuff like that. I don't know, cream, I guess. And uh, I just love eating breakfast up there, man, because. You got to those, you got to those cans, and you could, you could scrape that thick cream off the top when it was cool. Oh my God, that tasted so good on your cereal. But 
And Uncle Johnny said, don't be doing that. They won't pay me the full price for the milk. <laughs> uh, but I sure like that cream. I don't think there's nothing that ever tastes much better than fresh cream from a cow. I've tried buying it in the stores. It just it don't taste the same as fresh from a cow like those. But maybe it's my taste buds have changed. Anyway, anyway, the uh, this store here, kind of a religious thing, and I think it could be a true story, and I think a movie could be made out of this too. So if you happen to be a ghost writer, So, anyway, this story begins, I don't know how old I was, I, I had been on a class trip in Quincy, Illinois, at that time, they would take all the kids, sixth grade, I think, I can't remember what grade, but they'd take us up to see the uh, old burnt up uh, Mormon temple. So we'd go up there and spend part of the day, you know, seeing all the old buildings and listening to the people talk about how the old times was and with the Mormons there. And uh, anyway, you know, they said that the howling mob bear killed him. And I thought, my God, they built all this and then they left it. I couldn't believe that. And then they said that uh, he was murdered by a mob. Oh, shit. So anyway, I was picking peas with my grandma and I was telling her all about it. She hadn't been there in a lot of years. And I, don't, I don't think she ever really visited. I mean, I think they might have just drove through and looked at stuff. But, uh, you know, they took us, I mean, they made, they showed us how they made horseshoes and they showed us how they made bricks. It was, it was a pretty entertaining trip for a sixth grader or seven. I don't know how it would grade it was, but six or seven. Anyway. Anyway, I told my grandma, I said, I can't believe the mob killed him. I mean, and I was telling her all about how, you know, it's so neat, that big old building and them big old, because they were all still laying there. Not all of them, but some of them. A lot of them have been hauled off and used to build, I guess, buildings with. But there was still a big hole in the ground where the basement was, and there was still a lot of stone. A lot of them were in the basement, too, now that I think back on it. You can see corners of them sticking out. I know Quincy had one at our museum here. It was a moon a moon rock. It had a, a face of the moon card. And it was big. Hell, it was probably three feet tall, four, oh, maybe six feet long, and four foot. I mean, it was a big goddamn piece of limestone. But somebody that went to all that work to carve that uh, moon face. Right? I think those are cornerstones on it. Anyway, the Mormons come and took it back eventually. Uh, I, I don't know if we got a replica of it. I don't think we got a replica either. But it was pretty neat when I was a kid to go look at it.
Anyway, I was telling my grandma what a, I couldn't believe, you know, the mob killed him and, and ruined it. Anyway, she kind of laughed a little bit, snorted. And my grandma liked to tell stories, too. She's a good storyteller. Anyway, I don't remember any of them, except maybe this one. She said, well, that ain't what happened at all. I said, yeah. I said, yeah, the mob killed him. He died in jail after the mob stormed it and killed him. She said, no, that ain't what it was at all. She said, she, my grandma was born in uh, 1880 or 1890. She was born sometime in that time period. And her dad was a guy named Hunter. Her, her mom was uh, either a, I think her mom was a half fox Indian or maybe a full-blooded fox Indian. I don't know. My grandma, she had really dark, long hair, and she had really big brown eyes or dark eyes. You know, I always had blue eyes. It just kind of fascinated me at the color of her eyes. And my sister Jeannie, she has my grandma Kaylee's eyes. They're kind of a deep brown. Anyway, I got blue eyes. Mom's side. Anyway, this, uh, uh, you know what? Damn it, damn it, damn it. Keep drifting away here, sorry. I'm, I'm drinking more beer and I got a whole pitcher of blue moon. I, sh I surely shouldn't have done that. That's way, way, because I already drank a 24 ounce mixed drink, uh, whiskey. What the hell? It's got a whiskey and it's a smearing off somewhere or other. It's pretty powerful. I shouldn't have. I'm just going to drink one of them and go home. Anyway, Grandma said that when she was a little girl, she was up in her, she, she lived in the loft of the cabin. That's where she slept anyway. And uh, my, her dad, his name was Hunter. And uh, his brother took off when uh, the Mormons all took off to go to the Great Salt Lakes. And he'd been gone for quite a long while. Anyway, he came back and was visiting his brother there. I think it, I think it was living in West Point, or there's another little town around there somewhere. I ain't there no more. But uh, I don't know. He's living in that area anyway. And my grandpa's buried at the West Point. Grandpa Hunter is buried at West Point Cemetery, but it's unmarked grave. One of my aunts took me there one time and showed me where she thought it was. Uh, he probably didn't have no box or nothing, man. Uh, I mean, the people was poor back in them days. Anyway, the, uh, damn it, I'm getting forgetful here again. And I'm, I'm going to tear this, I ain't going to do this story correctly. I, I know my mind's just not working good enough today. Anyway, um, here's what she said happened. Her, she's upstairs in her little bed listening to them talk. Uh, the, the, the hunter who was a Mormon and lived out in Utah was trying to get his brother, who wasn't a Mormon, to move out there and become a Mormon. He was telling him about, you know, how great it was, how, well, all the, you know, and because and my, I guess my, my grandpa hunter was living in a crappy old cabin on shitty wore out ground and you couldn't really grow shit on. 
It flooded once in a while. The way Grandma talked was by a creek and it would flood occasionally. Anyway, he was wanting him to go back out to Utah with him. And he was saying, well, my, my grandpa said, oh, he didn't think he wanted to go. And he said, hey, he said, the guy that's leading it, he said, he's a smart son of a bitch. And he said that uh, he killed Joseph Smith to get the people of Nauvoo to follow him out west. And he told my my great grandpa, my my great my grandma told me this. He said that Joseph after he killed Joseph Smith, people wouldn't leave, so he burnt the temple down. He said and about half the young people went with him, and that was all he wanted anyway. He said those young people were all trained uh, in England. They had all been shipped over from England. Anyway, my grandma told me this. I, I did. Yeah, I. I Put in the back of my mind, you know, interesting story. Time goes on as time does. And uh, anyway, many years later, I was in my 30s. My wife had just divorced me for the second time, I think. And I was brokenhearted. And I was just driving up along a river there. That Nauvoo Drive is real pretty. And there's lots of little camping spots. And I had my sleeping bag on the back. And I used to go up there sometimes and just camp along the river, sleep in my sleeping bag on a picnic bench or something. <coughs> That's what my plan was. Anyway, I was going to look at some of the Mormon stuff. And I went to the newspaper thing. And I, the guy was telling me all about, the, he's had all these newspaper clippings from that time period. And I was interested, you know, in the Mormon history and he was looking up stuff there. Well, now they had, uh, they had, uh, what they call, I guess they call them microfish. I don't think, I know they don't use them anymore. But it was kind of like a really little tiny picture on some kind of a material and they would stick them in there and it was pictures from old times. They were pictures of pictures. <laughs> And, news, and a lot of these pics, these were of newspaper articles from that time period. Now the uh, now the uh, <laughs> the story gets a lot more involved. This guy was a Mormon historian, and I, you know, I just I just kind of casually mentioned that my grandma said Brigham Young killed Joseph, and instead of being offended or insulted, he looked at me kind of kind of interest, like he was interested in it. And he said, really? And I said, yeah. So I told him what my grandma told me. Brigham Young killed Joseph Smith and his brother, and then he burnt down the temple, and then he recruited as many as the Mormons as he could to go out to Utah, where there was no laws, where the Mormons could do whatever in the hell they wanted. And uh, my, my grandpa's brother wanted him to move out there. He said, man, he said, you ain't going to believe how good it is. <laughs> and I'll bet it was. There wasn't nobody out there to give the Mormons no shit. <laughs> and they could steal whatever they wanted from the Indians. I mean, and they was armed. All these Mormon men, they had the biggest arsenal in Illinois. Now, this, this was told to me by not the newspaper guy, but the arsenal guy. He said that Joseph Smith had demanded that all Mormon males be armed. And to accomplish that, there was a gunsmith in Quincy named Browning. Browning had a brother here in Quincy who was a lawyer. 
and uh, the, the Browning gunmaker was living in Kentucky, working on you know guns at the time. And he talked him to come into Quincy. Well, he really wasn't doing no good in Quincy. But now that Browning lawyer had bought a bunch of these lots up in Nauvoo to resell. And uh, uh, he talked his brother into moving up there. Well, then Joseph Smith decided he felt threatened by the neighbors. Well, the reason he felt threatened <laughs> is because Brigham Young and his boys, who were mountain men, were running around stealing horses and cows and little girls. You know, you have a little girl unattended, and if they could grab her, they'd bring her to Nauvoo and marry her off to somebody. Uh, uh, now, the people that was marrying the kids off to, now, this is what this historian guy was telling me. They were in England at that time. The, uh, the, uh, the kids... They had, you know, people are people. They have six or they have met, well, women have no choice. They have kids until they die or can't have them anymore. I mean, at, at that time period, that's basically the way it was. So England had all these kids running around with no way of making money. Everything was owned by the royalty. You know, if you was a, a, a young English boy born to a regular English family, whatever your dad did for a living. If there was no jobs doing that, then you had to find something else to do. Well, <laughs> there was no banking system. So people, average people couldn't borrow money. Only the rich could borrow money. Uh, and you couldn't have a last name even. Uh, the people of that time period, if, if you, you know, you're John, you know, and my dad's a Smithy, so I'm John Smith. Or if your dad was a Thatcher, I'm, I'm John Thatcher. You weren't allowed to have a last name. That's the reason those names are common here in the United States, because when they got here, they had to just pick a trade name. Yeah. 
something in my mouth. I'll, and then I'll take a shower. Because yeah. I just feel, I feel once better. You, once you take the shower, you're done. You're done. Yeah. Yeah, I'm done. I'm, I'm not fucking doing shit. <laughs> so I, um, I cleaned the stove. I cleaned my dishes. I did all my dishes out of the sink while I had a cast iron skillet sitting on the stove. It was dirty. So I put some water in it, turned it on fire, and was cleaning it. I just used up the water, took the water out, cleaned the pan, set the pan on the next burner. Behind it. Yeah, I'm going to 
eight different lotions. You know they went out with your weight. You're black, why don't you have <laughs> but I still have dry skin. It shows on you, though. It shows on you. We can ask you to. Proved different. Brigham Young never lived in Nauvoo. He owned property there, but he lived across the river on the Iowa side. He had an encampment over there for him and his boys. And his boys were all hardcore murderers. They were his original mountain men from when he was young. But he also had murderers from England. These kids that he brought over to do the skilled work, they had all been trained as uh, how to do stuff. Lay bricks, make mortar, make bricks. And he brought Brigham Young to get him out because Brigham Young could see he was trying to take control of his other members. <clears throat> so he wanted him gone. So he paid, he sent him to England as a recruiter. And over there, they were supposed to find these young English boys, 18 or so, that were trained in, in a trade but didn't have any jobs. These people over there, they would have somebody take them in, raise them until they was 18, train them to help be carpenters or whatever, sewer people, whatever. When they turned 18, they weren't responsible for them no more, so they could let them go, and they did. But these trained people could find no work because all the people who had any kind of business already had their... Uh, not bondsmen, I think they call they had a different name for it. They basically they were given to them to raise, take care of until they was 18. And they had to do whatever their sponsor wanted them to do until they was 18. Okay, turn 18, deals off, but there ain't no jobs for them. And you, there's no free food in England. So you turn 18 and 19, he's still ain't doing nothing. 20 is still. And then this Mormon guy shows up, says he'll pay for your passage to the United States, which costs about between uh, 4 and $10. Put you on a boat, send you over. And I think most of them landed down in New Orleans, although, because uh, that, that historian guy was saying a lot of them died of malaria down in the southern part of the Mississippi. I, I never did know malaria was a big thing here. Apparently it was in the 1800s. Anyway, these... Um, I'm screwing this story all up. I need a ghostwriter. If you can pass this on to a ghostwriter who would be interested in making a real story out of it, I think we could maybe make some money on this fear story. I ain't never really heard nobody talk bad about 
Brigham Young. <laughs> and he was bad, man. He was really bad, but he took the Mormon church on a new direction. And I think that was part of God's great plan. I kind of asked him. God doesn't normally, he does, it's really hard for him to, to directly communicate with people. He could be in the back of their mind kind of pushing them to go in a certain direction. You know, like, don't walk over there. You know, don't touch that. Or try to start a new religion. That's what he's told me. He wants me to set up uh, God, the, the, a new religion called uh, God's Great Plan. The religion of what's God's Great Plan? We'll find out. We'll find out because I want everybody to vote on what God's Great Plan is. Everybody's going to die and go to Mormon heaven? Everybody's going to die and go to Christian heaven? Everybody's going to die and go to Mormon heaven? Sounds like a pretty simple deal. I think it's a bit more complicated than that. Probably ought to keep working on this story here. God damn, I'll tell you what, I'm drunk and I really don't want to mess with it right now. I just want to sit here and get drunk. Damn it. Anyway, I, this story's all fucked up. I'm going to just speak to it a lot faster because I. Anyway, Brigham Young was a mountain man, ruthless, a killer, a murderer. Him and his boys out west, before they came down to Missouri, seen an ad in the newspaper in St. Louis about the investment opportunities of buying lots in Nauvoo. Now, this Browning lawyer here in Quincy was the one who put that in the St. Louis paper. So, uh, Brigham Young and his boys come back. Now, they've been out west robbing all the Indians. I mean, they went out, they went out there to be trappers. Well, they come back with a shit pile of hides, a lot more than they could have trapped. And they said they traded for them. Well, there was no law, and the Indians had no law. If you come upon a band of Indians with some beaver hides, well, I would say, what for them beaver hides? They're, they're surrounded by these possibly vicious men. The Indians might have just basically gave it to them. Or they might have given the Indians something not very much. Or they might have just killed the Indians and took them. <laughs> That's Brigham Young and his boys. They come down to Missouri, go to St. Louis, see that ad about Nauvoo. They go on up to Nauvoo there. Well, Brigham Young is, sees Joseph Smith, and he knows Joseph Smith is so full of fucking shit, he can't believe anybody would follow that stupid motherfucker. <laughs> of course, you don't tell him that. He sets up shop on the other side of the Mississippi and Iowa. He probably owned property in Nauvoo, too. And anyway, him and his boys were intermingling with all these newly arrived boys from, uh, no, take it back, take it back. He got there, he started mingling with the Mormon people, and he was kind of feeling them out. You know, a lot of them thought Joseph Smith was full of shit, but, you know, as long as they was making a good living, you know, we'll, we'll do what he says. And 
anyway, uh, Brigham Young was getting to be a nuisance to Joseph Smith. So Joseph Smith sent him and one of his other, I think they were called deacons or something, and sent them over to uh, England to recruit young men to come. Because Americans wouldn't join the, the religion. I mean, no regular American would have joined his dumbass religion. I mean, there's a few, but most wouldn't. And the church wasn't growing. And you can see that to this day. Uh, jo uh, Joseph Smith's branch, it's its basically nothing. I don't know how many members they got. They probably ain't got hardly any members. So Joseph Smith's approach to that religion was apparently a dead end. Brigham Young's approach was not a dead end. The Mormon religion is one of the main ones. I, I don't know how big it is, really. I know it ain't as big as the Catholics, and it's, but I think as far as a single denomination, you know, I mean, there's a whole bunch of Christians. You got Baptists. You got if you put them all together, it's, but I don't know. What, I don't know what the single largest Presbyterian. I don't know if it's the Presbyterians or I have to look at it. So. Anyway, uh, so, I mean, you know, going back in time, there's a big power struggle going on between Brigham Young, who thought Joseph Smith was a dumbass, Joseph Smith, who couldn't figure out how to get rid of Brigham Young. He couldn't tell his his followers, or, you know, they had free will. And he couldn't just tell them, hey, stay away from that son of a bitch. He, I mean, he did tell his... His hardcore followers. He did tell them, and they did stay away from Brigham Young. Didn't have nothing to do with it. But a lot of the other Mormons who really, you know, didn't take the religion as seriously as uh, as he wanted, <laughs> they talked to Brigham Young and his boys. And Brigham Young and his boys were running around stealing things and bringing it back to Nauvoo and sell get selling it cheap. Horses, cows young girl but there really wasn't and these and these young okay but these young boys that was there he sent brigham young over to england to get him out of his hair and in, and over in england he found i don't know how many i would like i don't know i've never have been able to find out how many people he recruited from england but they paid their passage between three and ten dollars from england to i think new orleans and then they come up to mississippi okay what well, he promised them is that they would become Mormons and join the church. They would, and, and basically they were starving in England. They had no jobs, no prospects, no nothing. So he had a huge base of uh, people wanting to come to America. So he picked the best, the brightest, but a lot of these guys were street urchins. I mean, they killed people. I mean, they were nasty little young Englishmen. I mean, if you got no income, yeah, you get pretty fucking nasty. Anyway, Brigham Young talked to all of them, and he kind of felt them out and found out who the nasty ones were and who the ones he could use were. So he kind of took them under his wing. And when they got back to America, that's when Brigham Young's boys started 
grabbing girls, cows, and some of the English boys, too. You know, they go out with his regular mountain men guys and, yeah, have fun, drink, or do whatever they wanted to do. You know, when they got back there, they, they followed old Joseph Smith's directions, of course. They go to work and mine, smelt, uh, make glass, whatever is needed. They had all been trained in England, so they were pretty damn good at it. When Joseph Smith first got to Nauvoo, he really didn't have anybody who could do nothing. He had a bunch of old, bunch of Americans who were basically all just farmers. And then these guys showed up, basically working for nothing. The deal was they had to do two years' work for the church, and they were provided with uh, housing and you know, basic food. And uh, that, was, that was a better deal than they had in England. Can I get some more ice? Yep, 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 while you're up and about there. Thank you. Thank you. You're very welcome, hon. I'm going to go ahead and stop this podcast because there ain't much going on. Anyway, if a ghostwriter happens to hear any of these stories, if you're interested in helping me write a book, I think they can be pretty interesting. You'd have, you'd have to clean them up a little bit, dress them on the edges, but the, the core of the story is pretty unique, and it's possibly true. Brigham Young bumped off Joseph Smith and took the church in a new, new direction. And I would like to take it into another new direction. I would like to start a branch of the Mormons that wants to get cloned. We could make our membership grow as much as we wanted. Just keep cloning ourselves, man. You know, we could clone a girl and she could have, oh, say, well, I don't know how many kids it's comfortable for a girl to have. Say four. I, I think four kids ain't that big of a strain on a gal. So you could have a gal born... Oh, you just, I, I'd say start at 18. I don't know what's the best age. You know, but boom, 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 boom. Make four new Mormons. Clones. And then, you know, she her job is done. That's uh, uh, pretty cool, huh? <laughs> I need to start up a new branch of the Mormon church that will get this done. The uh, Kaylee family.